Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. In the drawing room, a group of suspects gathered. The detective has solved the mystery. Ladies and gentlemen, the butler did it. <laughs> You'll never catch me. The butler darted to his getaway car. But what he didn't know is this is a Nissan sales event ad. Wait, what? And his car is no match for the detective's Nissan Rogue or its standard VC turbo engine. Save on one of your own at the Nissan Thrill of the Drive sales event. Now get 0% APR financing for 36 months on select models. Availability is limited. For well-qualified buyers, 0% APR financing for 36 months available on new 2023 Altima Rogue and Pathfinder when financed through NMAC must take delivery from new dealer stock. 36 months financing at $27.78 per month per thousand financed. Actual down payment may vary subject to residency restrictions and NMAC credit approval. Not all buyers qualified. Dealer contribution may affect actual price set by dealer. Contact dealer for details. Offer ends 228-23. You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. What are you getting so crazy about? It's just music. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Kant. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we have got one of the most exciting new voices in hip-hop music, Lupe Fiasco, three-time Grammy nominee in our studio for a live performance. Plus, we'll review the new albums by chart-topper Nora Jones and indie rock raves Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah. It's Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. And time now for some music news. Well, for more than 20 years, the police could not stand to be so close to each other. But uh, Famous, finally, famously, the last performance at Shea Stadium in New York, they, they <laughs> rode into the stadium in three separate limousines <laughs> from different directions. And who knows how they're going to be arriving to the uh, Grammy Awards on February 11th. But that is, in fact, when Andy Summers, Stuart Copeland, and Sting will be reuniting for the first time. Uh, apparently not the only time. This is just a prelude, their nationally televised appearance on the Grammys, to a uh, big world tour. No word about whether any new music is going to result, but apparently one of the most anticipated 
reunions of, of the last two decades is finally going to happen We this just summer. had Andy Summers on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about his book. And I just don't think that Gordon Sumner, that's, you know, Sting to the rest of the world, and Stuart Copeland actually read it. Because <laughs> if they did, you know, there was no love in those pages. He couches answer to our question, you know, the Sting question. What do you think of Sting's solo music? He was very, very diplomatic. I baited him. I said, what do you think of that medieval lute album that Sting just put out? He wouldn't even go up for he it. He would not jump for the bait. I think he's written some beautiful songs, you know. I mean, amongst all those albums, there's some really great ones there. Um, and I don't really want to comment negatively on Sting because uh, why would I? You know, I mean, I, I think about the history we shared and uh, and with Stuart. And, uh, you know, I think of these guys, of my, my brothers. I, I love them and uh, I will never want to get negative about it, you know. And I think it would be stupid anyway because if you ever want to do a reunion tour like that, you, you can't get like that. And I just think we're so lucky to have had that. Clearly, money has been uh, bandied about. I'm sure they looked at the kind of money they could make on this tour, and it was uh, too much to No, resist. they're not even talking arenas. They're going right for stadiums. Oh, my God, yeah. This is uh, definitely one of the most anticipated tours of the summer. But the reunion tours are going through the roof here. We've it's got to be uh, the year of the reunion. A Rage Against the Machine is definitely booked for an April 29th show at the Coachella Music Festival in California. That means that Tom Morello, Brad Wilk, and Tim Comerford are going to reunite with original vocalist Zach DeLaRocca. Who's just been so busy. Yeah, hasn't for, done for a you. thing, really, <laughs> since that band broke up in 2000. The other three have been in the band Audio Slave, which uh, continues to uh, disappoint people. So uh, apparently the time ripe for a reunion there, but it appears to be at this point only a one-off. We've got the Smashing Pumpkins back in the recording studio, or what's left of them. That means Billy Corgan, Jimmy Chamberlain, and who knows who else. It's not fair to say that it's it's a reunion unless all the four members that were most famous were there. I agree. You know, if Darcy Retsky, the bass player, and James Eha, the guitarist, aren't there along with Billy uh, Corgan and, and Jimmy Chamberlain, it's not the Smashing Pumpkins. Yes. And then we will answer the question of who really is Van Halen. <laughs> they are going out on a 40-day tour uh, this summer with David Lee Roth as the vocalist. Their first vocalist is now considered the vocalist in, in Van Halen. Sammy Hagar and that other guy, Gary Sharon, apparently don't count. Greg, on a previous show, we mentioned the Genesis reunion, or at least the later incarnation of Tony Banks, Mike Rutherford, and Phil Collins. Who else would we really like to see? I think the Smiths uh, is yeah, the one yeah. that's kind of hanging out there. Four uh, original members. Among the 80s bands. The, the, the four original members are still very much alive. Morrissey's out there, of course, with his solo career going very well. And uh, Johnny Marr, of all people, is in Modest Mouse these days. So I think they would all play right. larger venues than they ever have in the United States, much like the Pixies did when they came back the second time. I'm still waiting for Pink Floyd. I yeah. want my Floyd back. Four original guys, they're still there. Sid Barrett just died, their original inspiration. It's time. It's time to bury the hatchet. They, they paved the way with Live Aid. And then, of course, the replacements. You know, uh, yeah. one of those bands that most of the members are out there with the exception of Bob Stinson. But, you know, Tommy Stinson. But being dead is a real Paul detriment. Paul Westerberg, yeah. you know, uh, Chris Mars. I mean, there are original members out there to be had that could be playing in, in a reunion show. And it would be big if it did happen. Good night,
No, that is not Tom Waits singing that luxury car company ad. We were uh, scrutinizing John Mellencamp just last week on this show for selling out to a car commercial. It's disgusting. But Tom Waits has throughout his career. Now, you are the world's biggest Tom Waits fan. I am skeptical. I am not a huge Waits skeptical. fan. Skeptical? You hate the guy. Uh, yeah, that would Just be come one right on say We could say that. But I applaud Waits for him fighting not to have his music corrupted in advertising. There was a, a snack food a couple of years ago mm-hmm. that appropriated a Waits-sounding vocal, and he sued them, and he won. What happened here was that you had this luxury car company for ads that aired in Scandinavia using a very Waits-sounding voice to sell their car. Now, <laughs> They had originally approached him and said, would you record this for me? He said, no, I don't do that. I don't do it. No way. So then they just hired some guy who sounded just like him. Despite the previous history of somebody else getting burned for doing that, a court in Frankfurt, Germany, said that Waits was within his rights. They awarded him some money. Nobody's talking about how much. And he's giving it all to charity. Yeah. So I will applaud Tom Waits, although I still think Captain Beefheart should sue Waits yeah. for Waits ripping off Beefheart's whole career. video clip called Amateur uh, by one Lassie Gertzen that has been viewed 2.8 million times <laughs> on YouTube.com, the, uh, the video website. Uh, Jim, the reason we're playing that video is that uh, someday the Lassie Gertzens of the world uh, may be rewarded for their enterprise and getting their videos uh, aired on YouTube and, and actually viewed by as many as 2.8 million people. Yeah, because here was this guy who couldn't even play the drums, but was a good video editor, made this home video with all these cuts that makes it seem as if he can play the drums. Yeah. 2.8 million people, YouTube's going to start paying the, the makers of these amateur videos, right? Well, well, so they say. The founder of YouTube, uh, Chad Hurley, filled with hubris after they've been just bought for $1.6 billion by Google, uh, it wants to start sharing some of the revenue. If a uh, kid in his basement out there makes a video with non-copyrighted material, in other Raspy words, original, original material, yeah. and attracts viewers, he wants to find a way to share the advertising revenue that that would garner with the creator of that video. Well, even if it's like half a cent per viewing or something, somebody like Lassie you know, with 2.8 million yeah. views, he'd be sitting pretty, get himself some real drum lessons. Exactly. And, and this is an extraordinary, I think, development in that it is – Basically, throwing out to the world, make a video, find an audience, we'll reward you for it. I think it's revolutionizing A&R, the, the, the business of talent scouting, on which there, the record industry was founded. Meanwhile, you've got the record industry going in the opposite direction, where it's continuing to consolidate to create these bigger corporations, which are offering a smaller and smaller window of opportunity to the artists of the world. And YouTube is just throwing the doors open and saying, everybody's welcome. If you can find an audience, you know, you're going to get paid for it. The big news last week in the industry was that the third largest music company in the world announced that it is merging two of its labels, both of them legendary uh, for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. Capital Records is now going to be part of Virgin Records. Capital, the label that gave us the Beatles, yeah. is not really going to be its own record company anymore. They sold the famous Capital Tower, the landmark in Los Angeles a while back. They're going to be moving their offices out of there. It's kind of a sad day uh, in the music industry. A lot of layoffs expected. And a lot of bands are going to get cut. I mean, yes. uh, this is a label capital with uh, bands like the Decemberists and
and Coldplay. Okay, uh, go. Okay, go. Some of these bands may not survive these cuts. Uh, the Red Walls, who made a terrific uh, debut record for yeah. Capital, that didn't really sell that well. There's some real doubts as to whether that second album, which is almost done, is even going to come out because yeah, of this restructuring. Sure. You mentioned Coldplay. Coldplay was the band that was supposed to, quote-unquote, save Capitol Records with their uh, <laughs> third album, and it didn't happen. They made an art rock record instead, underperformed from what Capitol had been hoping. This brings us to our last story today and the obligatory Brian Eno <laughs> reference. As it gears up to go record its fourth album, Coldplay is going to be produced by Brian Eno, which is very exciting. Wait a minute. I mean, they, they keep drawing these U2 comparisons, and now they're going into the studio with Eno, yeah, who helped U2 who... craft uh, you know, the Joshua Tree and, right. and, and big albums like that. I mean, come oh, on. Eno worked with U2 for 10 years, yeah. you know, all the way through Octung Baby. Yeah, I don't know. If you don't want to be compared to U2, it doesn't seem like you ought to hire U2's producer. I always admire Coldplay. You know, I, I, I admire their ambition, at least, and I think that maybe Eno will be able to get them to do something interesting. But also, meanwhile, Chris Martin is going to be on the next Kanye West single, the first single from Kanye's third album, <laughs> Graduation. He's singing on this song called Homecoming. Wow, so Bono's out there saving the world, and meanwhile, uh, Chris Martin is out there working with Kanye West I'm and Brian with, Eno. I'm, I'm Who's got the better life, right? Chris, and he's married to Gwyneth, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. A few weeks ago, Lupe Fiasco stopped by the studio. He is a three-time Grammy nominee. His debut record, one of the most lauded of uh, 2006. He was in the studio for a conversation and a live performance. A funny guy and a really good talker. I think we got to ask two or three questions, (laughs) and then he just ran with the ball, as you'll hear. All right, you are listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRigatis, and we're here with... Uh, Lupe Fiasco! Oh, my God. <laughs> he needs no introduction. He does it himself. <laughs> Your mom and dad call you Wasalu Muhammad Jaco, correct? Yes, yes. That's that's what they say my well, name is. Well, they, <laughs> will they call you Lupe now or on the, you know, when they run into you? Yeah, and it's unsettling that my mother calls me Lupe. It's Except really when she's weird. mad at you, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, she's like, Wasalu, can I have $90,000? You see, I'm in trouble when, I, when my mom says, James. <laughs> why, would she, why would you be in trouble like that, though? Because we all have moms and we get in trouble sometimes, man. You know that. What are you talking yeah, about? Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> Mine is the, uh, the, the full Christian name rule. If they, uh, if they call you by your full Christian name, then you're really in deep trouble. Gregory means you're in trouble. Oh, Greg, really? Greg, you know. Everything's fine. Break. Everything's fine. James, like come from out of the basement. Yeah. You've been there you way too long. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Let's, let's little, give a little background on this uh, wisecracker here. This uh, pompous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to call you Gregory, and you're going to be in trouble. He's going to call guy. me Gregory, and I'm going to be in trouble. But yes, uh, Gregory. We have a one of the most anticipated debut albums of 2006, Lupe Fiasco's "Food and Liquor." A- after six years and three label deals, finally came out. One of the most talked about phenomenons on the internet for uh, years and years, uh, recontextualizing tracks by Kanye West, the Gorillas. I think you were a star on the internet before you know the mainstream world had heard about you. Yeah. And now, as a result of uh, Lupe Fiasco's Food and Liquor, we have a man with three Grammy nominations sitting yes. here in the studio. Mm-hmm. See, it, it bled into the outernet. You said that your estimation was that some nine million copies of your album were downloaded before it was even officially mm-hmm. released. Between the time that it leaked and it officially came out, which was a span of like two and a half, maybe three months, it was downloaded about nine million times. And clearly a a different type of hip-hop record. A major label release, 
but yet uh, the majority of it was recorded by your guys, uh, Soundtrack and Pro, mm-hmm. uh, two relative unknowns in hip-hop, which is almost never done. Mm-hmm. How were you able to, first of all, establish that with the label, unlike many other hip-hop artists starting a, out? A jousting match. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it was really just show and prove, and even it was show and not prove, you know, and a lot of it was just put it on radio before the record label knows. But it was a business decision, you know, as well as a personal decision where it was like, I'm going to give my homies, you know, a chance to shine. And I know that they're, they're good enough to compete with these other producers that they're going to make a statement. And it came out in Soundtrack having, you know, two Grammy nominations on his first official record ever. So I think we, we showed and we proved. And even to this day, the record company is still a little, they still don't get it. They still don't know how. And it's like, well, it was good music. You talk about Kick Push, though, the first single off the record, uh, which, a marvelous single. I mean, Jim and I are huge let's, fans of that. We're going to have to talk about Kick Push yeah. quite a bit, but let's let people hear it first. Absolutely. Because there's no better way to get Lupe Fiasco introduced if people don't know him than to have him perform this. So you, you're game to play this one. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. All right. Let's hear Kick Push by Lupe Fiasco. All right. And it goes like, oh. What up, y'all? Yeah, soundtrack, what's poppin', baby? If y'all know me out there, I go by the name of Lupe Fiasco. Yeah, representing that first and 15. Yeah, uh. And this song right here, I dedicate this song right here to all my homies out there grinding. You know what I'm saying? Legally and illegally. You know what I'm talking about? So, check it out, uh. First got it when he was six, didn't know any tricks Matter of fact, first time he got on and he slipped He landed on his hip and he busted his lip And for a week he had to talk with a list like this Now we can end the story right here But shorty didn't quit, it was something in the air Yeah, he said it was something so appealing He couldn't fight the feeling, something about it He knew we couldn't doubt it, couldn't understand it Branded since the first kick flip, he landed, uh Labeled a misfit, a bandit, kook, kook, kook. His neighbors couldn't stand this, so oh oh, he was banished to the park. Started in the morning, wouldn't stop after dark. Yeah, when they said it's getting late in here, so I'm sorry, young man, there's no skating here. And so we kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, coast. And away he rolled, just a rebel to the world with no place to go. And so we kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, coast. So come and skate with me, just a rebel looking for a place to be. So let's kick, 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 and push, you push, you push, you push, you push, and coast. Yeah, uh. My man got a little older, became a better roller. Yeah, no helmet, hell bent on killing himself, is what his mama said. But he was feeling himself, he got a little more swag in his style. Met his girlfriend, she was clapping in the crowd. Love is what, what was happening to him now, uh. He said I would marry you, but I'm engaged to these aerials and barriers. I don't think this board is strong enough to carry two. She said, bow, I weigh 120 pounds. Now, let me make one thing clear. I don't need to ride yours, I got mine right here. So she took it to a spot he didn't know about. Some odd in the apartment parking lot. She said, I don't normally take dates in here. Security came and said, I'm sorry, there's no skate in here. And so they kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, kick. And the way they roll, just lovers in the twine with no place to go. And so they kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, coast. 
So come and skate with me, just a rebel, looking for a place to be. So let's kick, 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 Before we knew we had a crew, there wasn't no pump and they spit fire shirts and SBs. They would push till they couldn't skate no more. Office building lobbies wasn't safe no more. And it wasn't like they wasn't getting chased no more. Just the freedom was better than breathing, they said. And escape route they used to escape out. When things got crazy, they needed to break out. They head to any place with stairs, any good grinds, the world was theirs. Yeah, and they four wheels would take them there until the cops came and said, there's no skating. And so they kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, coast And the way they roll, just rebels without a cause with no place to go And so they kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, kick, push, coast So come and skate with me, just a rebel, looking for a place to be So let's kick, you kick, you kick, kick, and push, 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 and coast That's what you do <laughs> Man, I love that song. That was a terrific live performance of one of my favorite songs of 2006, Kick Push from Lupe Fiasco. We're going to be back with Lupe in a moment, and later on in the show we'll have reviews of Nora Jones and Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah. That's a minute from now on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We are in the midst of our spirited chat with rapper Lupe Fiasco. A little bit later, we're going to hear him perform another track in our studio with uh, his guest vocalist, Matthew Santos. But first, a little bit more discussion about Kick Push, the track you're hearing underneath us now and the first single from the album. There are certain singles in the history of pop music, of rock and roll, if you will. It's all rock and roll to me. You, public enemy, okay? I think you've done for skateboarding what the Beach Boys did for surfing. You, you listen to some of the great, or Jan and Dean, you know, you li- or Wipeout, right? Uh-huh. You listen to those songs, and you get the sense, I've never surfed, and I, we don't live by the ocean, we're in Chicago. Right. I have no idea what that feels like, but the thing that amazes me about Kick Push is the way the music and your vocals combine to give the sense of motion, the sense of freedom and exhilaration. You know, I mean, was that a goal from the beginning? Were you going to, I'm going to use my voice to simulate the experience of being on that skateboard? Kick push was kick push was weird. That was a weird experience. I did it for um, a local skate shop called Uprise. I did it for their skate DVD. And I think since 
I didn't. There was no real intention to put it out. Like I was in the studio, comfortable. Mm. You know, I mean, when I did the first verse and I did the hook, and I was like, maybe I should just do another verse. And I did another verse, and I didn't write any of it. You know, it was just wow. me at the mic. You know, going maybe do about four or five lines, and then stop, and then think of four or five more, and then put attach those to it. And I, I guess because. It wasn't that real weight that was like, you need a single and it needs to be about this and we have this particular beat for it. You know, it was yeah. like me having fun. Yeah. Um, and I think that came across. It was like he was actually having fun making this record about people having fun. So it wasn't even conscious the way the hook, uh, you know, I mean, when you say coast and you draw it out as, just like the skateboard rolling past. It wasn't yeah, even- it, was, it, was, it was a little onomatopoeia. The subject matter and the production on that record were, uh, I think, a really breaking point for a lot of people in terms of this is a fresh sound for hip-hop nothing really sounds like this the sample on that is out of left field what, weren't you saying like filipino jazz horns or something yeah. like i mean who would have thought of that you know soundtrack who's actually filipino uh-huh. wow. um and it came from a record out of his father's collection um and it just happened to be this old unreleased jazz record from a filipino jazz band <laughs> It was amazing, like, and for soundtrack to go and get that from that, like, that whole history and everything behind it. Like, and a lot of Filipino people were like, yo, that's fresh. The horns, like, that, the, it, it has that breezy sound, and it seemed like it influenced the way you decided to phrase the words and everything. It yeah, like you... it, it was... To me, originally, I was I was like, yo, this is a dope beat to skate to, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was just going to give uh, Uprise the beat. I'm like, yo, just use this as background music to skate to. Because to me, it seemed like, you know, watching skate DVDs and watching skaters and stuff like that, it seems like, wow, like you could skate to this record. And it was the, the lyrics were really just like a commercial, you know what I'm saying, in the sense where it's like, let me just put this on top and it just fit. All right, now, every musician has one of these moments of just crystalline discovery. You ever see that movie, Almost Famous, where the kid's flipping through his sister's records and he discovers The Who? Mm-hmm. Something like that. What's the first hip-hop record you heard The first that really opened your eyes? I mean, you know, not just in ba- passing, but that you said, wow. I gotta have this and acquire this record? Yeah. Um, I, want to, I want to be this even more. Third grade, ain't nothing but a G-thing. Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. That okay. was the first, I remember I had a little Walkman and I had the tape. It was the single. And I remember I used to go to school. And on my way to school, I would be bumping a number the G thing. And I was in third grade. Mm-hmm. So that was the first record. That wasn't the first record that made me want to rap or inspire me to be a rapper or anything like that. But that was the first like hip-hop record that I remember going out of my way, finding, and playing. But okay. you were wrestling with this idea, too, uh, throughout your childhood. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you address it on the record where you talk about uh, the, the song where you talk about, I used to hate hip-hop. And mm-hmm. there was some, you were going through some issues with the subject matter of hip-hop. And as a young man, recognize that there may be some contradictions here that you didn't necessarily want to incorporate into your own life. Check it out. Now I ain't trying to be the greatest. I used to hate hip-hop. 
Yep, because the women degraded, but too short made me laugh like a hypocrite. I played it, a hypocrite. I stated though I only recited half, omitting the word bitch, cursing I wouldn't say it. Me and dog couldn't relate till a bitch I dated. Forgive my favorite word for hers and hers alike, but I learned it from a song I heard and sort of liked. How, how did that resolve where you ended up embracing, eventually embracing hip-hop for yourself? Um, the, my introduction to hip-hop, vulgar, vulgar hip-hop, was N.W.A. Um, and it was through my father. I mean, my father would, he, to make the, his constituents mad, so to speak, his uptight constituents, he would play N.W.A., like in his car and then where he worked or what have you. But it was weird because eighth grade, and that was the music that I was introduced right back into. Actually, sixth grade through eighth grade, I was going to um, junior high school. And my peers were listening to Spice One and, like, N.W.A. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like I got reintroduced to hip-hop through that same music that as a little kid, you know, I was like, I can't really rock with this. Like, they're cussing. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be cussing. And and I always had very, I always had variety. You know, it was all, I knew it was other genres of music that I could well, rock what, with. What was your dad doing? I want to, I want to interview his dad because <laughs> his father was a Green Beret, yeah, Green Beret, and active with the Black Panthers, yes. in, in the community. I mean, that's a fascinating combination. Martial arts guy, martial arts master, engineer, any and everything. Was he? Was he? Did he dislike the the cliched gangster? You know, misogynistic, glorifying violence and drugs, and my demeaning f- women. Did he dislike that in NWA, my, or was he just getting off on NWA? I don't know because my father would play NWA, and then he would open up a karate school in like the worst part of the city on purpose. <laughs> he would go out at night with a team of his crew, his black belts. And it would go and shut down all of the drug spots, all of the dope spots, yeah. all the gangbangers on that entire block. And I think that was the kind of the balance, mm. you know what I'm saying, that started to set up with me, too. Why would He, he would be this hero- heroic pillar of the community, and then he would be bumping NWA. Well, well but, you know, so, so obviously if people are getting the idea that you, you grew up in a unique household, your mother was just as unique, she was a chef. Mm-hmm. They encouraged you to be whatever you wanted to be and to find your own path, and you turned toward Sunni Islam. You know, it wasn't a religious household, but you investigated the Muslim religion. We were were born Muslim. Um, Mm -hmm. So my father and my mother were Muslim when they got married. And but what it was was we were Muslim, and that was kind of like the backbone, the moral, ethical backbone, you know, uh, of the family. But it wasn't practiced thoroughly in the house. Well, so so what made you want to investigate that? And, and I mean, if people don't know, Food and Liquor is the name of the album. It's more of a, a sociological statement mm-hmm. on the west side, south side of Chicago. I mean, in every big city. Yeah. You know, on every corner, there's a food and liquor. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the deli and the liquor store. But you don't smoke and you don't drink. Right. You don't do drugs. And you're, you're serious about – because there is a serious side of Lou. This is the portion where we want to get the serious side of Lou. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we had the whimsical – Lupe fiasco. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, we're going to have you do American Terrorist for mm-hmm. us. And that, that's a uh, – why don't we hear it and then talk about sure. what that is and how that relates to your religion, if you would. Okay. All right. So American Terrorist by Lupe Fiasco. I am Lupe Fiasco. Uh, and I probably present to you the incomparable, incredible Matthew Santos. And this song right here, I dedicate this song right here to you. Yeah. Check. We came through the storm. Nooses on our necks and a smallpox blanket to keep us warm. On a 747 on the Pentagon lawn. Wake up. The 
alarm clock is connected to a bomb. Anthrax lab on the West Virginia farm. Shorty ain't learn to walk, already heavily armed. Civilians and little children, this especially harm. Camouflage Taurus, Bibles and glorious Qurans. The books that take you to heaven and let you meet the Lord there. Have become misinterpreted reasons for warfare. Reread them with blind eyes, I guarantee you there's more there. Rich must be blind, cause they ain't see the poor there. You need to open up a park, just close 10 schools, we don't need them, can you please call the fire department, they down here marching for freedom, burn down ATPs, turn their TVs on, the teacher men move. The more money that they make, the more money that they make, the better and better they live, whatever they want to take, whatever they want to take, whatever, whatever it is, the more that you want to learn, the more that you try to learn, the better and better Man, see that we all brothers oh. like us things the same because we like the same color and that's grain that that's main he can't burn his cross cause he can't afford the gasoline now with a Muslim woman strapped with a bomb on the bus with the seconds running give you the jitters just imagine an American based Christian organization planning the poison water supplies to bring the second coming quicker if they ain't living properly break them off with a little democracy Turn their whole culture to a mockery Give them Coca-Cola for their property Give them gum, give them guns, give them young, give them fun If they ain't giving it up, then they ain't getting none And don't give them all, no man, just give them some It's the paper, some of these cops must be okay to play your own The more money that they make, the more money that they make The better and better they live Whatever they wanna take, whatever they wanna take Whatever, whatever Black man fool, get red man liquor, red man fool, black man nigga, give yellow man tool, make him railroad villa, also give him pan, make him pull gold from river, give black man crack, blocks and teams, give the red man craps, slot machines and bring it back, 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 don't give the black man fool, get red man liquor, red man fool, black man nigga, give yellow man tool, make him railroad villa, also give Pan, make them pull gold from river Give black man crack Glocks and tings and get a red man crack Slot machines and bring it back Back, bring it back, bring it back Back, bring it back, 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 back
Yeah. All right, that was American Terrorist from Lupe Fiasco live in the studio. And uh, talk about that track a little, Lupe. Uh, you're flipping the script a little bit there. I'm on who's the terrorist in the world. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, we Just have some issues here at home that may be described as anthrax terrorism Anthrax in well. the West Virginia lab. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you know. Just a little. It, American Terrorist was the my attempt to give a history, not the history, but a history of terrorism in America. And at a period of time where America uses the word terrorist pointing, you know, as opposed to like, okay, we know what terrorism is because we did it for 450 some odd years. And so it's just kind of to give, to level the playing field a little bit by giving people who are an audience to myself, to like, look, yeah, America, yeah, okay, there might be terrorists over here, but the history of America is this, it's the Ku Klux Klan, you know, it's slavery, it's... um. All these other things that you might not know about in the present day, you know, like it's not just Islamic terrorists and it's not just terrorists in Colombia and it's not just terrorists in this part of the world. Like the terrorism is a method used and utilized by every nation and every society since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a part of my responsibility on this platform to do that when I can, when I know of a subject to express it and tell it and try and get people not to get people to change their ideas, but give people more information on a particular subject so they can make more informed decisions about who they're going to vote for or who they're not going to vote for. Mm-hmm. And it's still mind-blowing a little bit to, to me that people like Jay-Z endorsing your work, getting it out on a major label, but was part of the difficulty in actually getting a record out, as we said, six years, three lab- label deals, was part of it because of the fact that you did want to do it your own way and, and kind of address some of the subject matter that really isn't addressed in, in mainstream hip-hop that often. I mean... Was there a point there where you thought about giving up because it it wouldn't happen for you at at a major label level? Honestly, I can't say yes. I can't say um, that it was because of I wanted to do talk about a particular subject because my early work is is a reflection of what you hear now. It is Jay Z. It's Nas. It's very violent. You know, it comes from entertaining my peers. You know, and my peers, even though I may be this you know somewhat educated, you know, astute. (laughs) <laughs> pompous young man um <laughs> my peers are you know they're from the hood they're ex-convicts mm-hmm. you know they're, they're, ex, they're ex-drug dealers or you know they, they they've been to jail more than twice so that's what i come from you know i come from the projects i come from the hood i come from the ghetto and so that's my constituency that's who i that's who i was entertaining and it it went from okay you're entertaining your hood you make people happy whatever um, talking about guns and shooting people in this, that, and the third. But when you put that up against the music business and every other artist, that's what they're doing. They're talking about the same things. And it went it went for me maturing, actually, because through that six years, that was from being 18 until being now, you know, a month away from being 25. I grew up and I matured. And it was like, let me talk about, I got more comfortable with myself. And it was like, let me talk about those things that I like to do, you know, even it goes down to like my album cover. People are like yo, your album cover is kind of gay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if people don't know, you're, you're <laughs> floating out there in, in space. It's like the Star Wars scene. That that hardness, that 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 sort of that pressure, that peer pressure to be hard. Even the even the women in rap have got to be hard. I yeah. mean, what is that? You know, it's it's a it's a peer pressure. It's a the same thing about kick push and skateboarding. It's like people don't skateboard in the hood, <laughs> you know, because there's a certain stereotypical um, set of, I guess, 
things that you must do to, to keep your authenticity intact when you come from the hood. You can't wear a suit. Wearing a suit, you either going to church or you're going to work for the white man. You know, or you, you can't do this because you're trying to be white. Or you can't do this because you're trying to be, you know, Puerto Rican. You can't do this because you're trying to be whatever. Um, and in a lot of those cases, trying to be something that you're not means that you want to progress. You know, you want to get out of your particular situation. You want to expand your horizons and you want to experience new things. Um, and so that's the cap. That's the ceiling of the hood. That's what keeps people in the hood, that peer pressure, that self-oppression. And so for me, it was... Let me break out of that. You know, let me make let me write a song about, you know, a giant robot walking around. That's a project building. Let me write a song about, you know, skateboarding. Let me write this song because it for me it's a it's a a shout to that system, you know, the system that we created ourselves um to be like that's not cool. You know, I'm going to shake it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to be different from that, and I'm going to be proud to be different. And it's going to be dope. And it's going to compete with your young Jeezy. It's going to compete with your Rick Ross. And it's going to compete with your little Wayne. And I'm going to get just as much and even more than they do. Yeah. Uh, Lupe Fiasco, it's been a pleasure. Waslu Muhammad Jaco, as mom and dad would say. Gregory. Pleasure having you on the show. <laughs> Jim. <And> James. <laughs> Sorry, James. Jim. Uh, fresh to death she is. From her steps to her set she is. So Coming up on Sound Opinions, Jim and I will review records by Nora Jones and Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, and I will drop a quarter into the Desert Island jukebox. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Ready out of my chair, gather up my ears on my square from here forward. It's nothing right, so here go it. Whisper in the ears, kind of crowded in here. Wish you cared to blow it. She said, Yeah, sunshine. Yeah, you're my moonlight. You're the starry skies above me. Won't you please come down and hug me? Think I found love in this club Never met her before, but I think I like her like a metaphor. It's hard to get in the car we sit. From the intro, she rolled down the window just in case I was a schizo. I compliment her on the common sense. I'm calm, a little more confident. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. What you're listening to is a new track called Sinkin' Soon from the third Nora Jones album, Not Too Late. Just out, guaranteed to debut at number one. I guarantee yeah. it, Jim. Yeah. I will I will stake my career on it. That will be a number one album. She's already because the other news. two have been number one albums. Yeah, no, she's already making news for the most pre-orders ever and the most downloaded song ever. She's already sold 15 million copies of those first two records and got eight Grammys under her belt, and she's 27. 27 years old, and she's already had a career's worth of album sales. 
this record very much in the same vein. We're talking about Nora Jones, who knows what she does, and she does it very, very well for the 15 million people who have bought her records. If you've wandered around in, in shopping malls, if you've been in elevators, <laughs> you have heard Nora Jones's music somewhere. It is ubiquitous. Uh. Jim and I will dig into why it is ubiquitous, why it works, and maybe why it doesn't. But let's play a track first from uh, the new record. It's called My Dear Country from Nora Jones. It's on Sound Opinions. T'was Halloween and the ghosts were out And everywhere they'd go they'd shout And though I covered my eyes I knew they'd go That is a song called My Dear Country. If you're still awake and still listening to Sound Opinions by Nora Jones from her third album. It's indicative of a slight change on this record. It's the first album that she hasn't made with the longtime jazz producer Arif Martin because he passed away. She made it with her boyfriend, Lee Alexander, who's her uh, songwriting partner, the bassist in her band. There are some things I like about Nora Jones, okay? She does try to get this live in an intimate cabaret setting to the music. It, it's well recorded and you feel like you're in a small room and she's singing to her. She, you know, is obviously a part of the pop star making machine, but she doesn't pander to it. Mm -hmm. And with her spare time in New York, she plays in all these different bands on Monday nights to 10 people. You know, she does glam rock. She does country cabaret. She appeared with Mike Patton of uh, Faith No More in this weird art rock project, Peeping Tom. OK, <laughs> these are all the things I like about Nora Jones. I just wish she made albums that didn't put me to sleep. It's like she is to the real deal of jazz and cabaret music what a frothy chai latte is to a double espresso okay <laughs> it's not even in the same ballpark it's this sugary concoction of who knows what that sort of resembles the real deal but it sure ain't well jim i i, I would question the use of of sugary i'm not sure it's poppy enough really i mean she's sort of blending different genres here pop country blues a little bit of jazz without being any one of them what it is is very laid back, very conversational. There's a warmth to it. The problem is it's all in one area. You know, yeah. she's got this big palette of music that she's working with, and she all she paints it in this one little corner all the time. I kind of like that in small doses. I think 
there are some brilliant moments on this record. I, I think a track like Wish I Could, the very first track on the record, everything is paired back. There's a couple of cellos on that song, an acoustic guitar, her voice. There is nothing gratuitous about that track. Everything is there for a reason. But With a look on her face I can't just ignore She tells me that her heart is sore It pulls me in She pulls me in it's, it's beautifully recorded, beautifully sung and in small doses, she's very, very fine to listen to. But over the long haul, there's some interesting things being said on this record. Well, well, she's that, engaging some political yeah, content That's here. what I meant about Sugary, Greg, mm-hmm. is she never gets excited. The song that we heard before, Sink and Soon, that's obviously about the, the wake of Hurricane Katrina. We've got a captain who's too proud to say he dropped the oar as he steers the boat, yeah. right? And My Dear Country is about looking at, from the perspective of those couple of days between Halloween and November 3rd, yeah. looking at the perspective, nothing is more frightening in this country right now than an election. Those are some heavy thoughts, and yet she delivers them like... Yeah, very light. She's, she's almost too modest for her own good. I'd put her in the same class of singers like Madeline Peru and Patricia Barber, fine singers uh, who make very modest, low-key kind of records but aren't particularly adventurous. The difference is Nora Jones sells 15 million records, and those other artists that I mentioned don't. Uh, So as a result, she has an undue amount of attention paid to her. I think she would be very comfortable being sort of a modest, medium-selling kind of artist, which is really what she deserves to be. But instead, all this attention has been put on her, and I don't think she's got the broadness, the, the vim, the vigor to actually you know, live up to those expectations. So what we have here is a very modest, listenable record. It's not embarrassing in, in, in any way, but it's not a buy-it record. No, uh, no, it's a warm glass of milk. You know? yeah. How are you going to get excited and say trash it? No, you know, but, but you certainly don't need to buy it because it's going to be everywhere. Yeah, if you go buy a, hear it. If you buy a coffee at any <laughs> point in the next six months, so we're going to hear this record. All right, that's a burn it from both of us on the Nora Jones record. That is a song with a very long title. (laughs) Mama, Won't You Keep Them Castles in the Air and Burning from the second album by Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, Just Out, Some Loud Thunder is the name of the disc. Greg, it's impossible to talk about these fellows who were on Sound Opinions when they were touring in support of that first album without mentioning that this Philadelphia Brooklyn band was the big internet hype of 2005. Many indie rock bloggers and fanzines and magazines you know, raved about their <laughs> self-titled debut album, which was released entirely via the net. And uh, this second album, they have, have opted to self-release it. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of offers from major labels and independent labels. Come join the system. You've proven what you can do. We can do even more for you now if you're part of a real record company. And yet, 
with all eyes upon them, they put out their second album on their own and presumably funded it themselves as well. They went up to upstate New York in the middle of nowhere <laughs> where one David Fridman has a recording studio, most famously home base for The Flaming Lips and Mercury Rev. Let's hear something from this album. This is a track called Satan Said Dance from the second album by Clap Your Hands Say Yeah, Some Loud Thunder on Sound Opinions. say yeah answering the uh, musical question what do you do after you sell more than 100,000 records on your own what do you do for a follow-up yeah uh, try to sell another 100,000 records okay <laughs> on your own on your own and and that's exactly what they're trying to do more power to them uh the story has in some ways eclipsed the actual music but i have to say this about the debut album from clap your hands say yeah it was an uneven record. There were some great moments on it and some almost unlistenable moments on that record. Yeah, same very, is true here. Very uneven. <laughs> Absolutely. What's different about this record is the production values, as you mentioned, much higher. I mean, that first record was recorded in various studios over a, a span of, of a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, this one was recorded in a concentrated period of time with Fridman, who clearly is a master of atmosphere. Oh, There's yeah. layers upon layers of, in this record that are really intricate, really fun to listen to. The more you listen to this record, the more you draw out of it sonically. Very interesting, dark, subversive kind of record here. Very textured. Uh, and and I love ways, that about it. In a lot of ways, this is the album The Flaming Lips should have made last time around with Fridman. I, I think what they've done here, Jim, is they've made two albums. They've made mm. half a great record mm -hmm. uh, with just really accessible songs, incredible sonic moments courtesy of Fridman. Alec Ownsworth, the singer, whose voice admittedly is an acquired taste, I think has some fabulous moments on this record where he just lets himself go. I hear a lot of that David Byrne. When David Byrne sort of flings himself at a song, it's really exciting. He's like, oh, wow, that's kind of a geeky voice. But at the same time, it's thrilling to hear a guy jump out of his skin that way. Yeah, it really And Alec Ownsworth me. does that as well. I can't help but chuckle at how far out of their way a lot of the indie rock fans of this band go yeah. to not mention the Talking Heads. Yeah. You know, but, but it's like, it's, it's, it's so there. And either you're going to like that 
that voice or you're not. Yep. And and it's so obviously an influence. Uh, it's just absurd. And you know, if the last album was Talking Head '77, this one is Fear of Music or more songs about buildings yeah, and food. And nothing wrong with that. But the other half of the record, Jim, is a difficult slog. I mean, there are some just I think intentionally difficult moments. Like the yeah. they, they they didn't want to be too obvious. We've talked to these guys. We kind of know them as kind of you know arty guys. They want to do their their own twisted take on indie rock, and they're not going to be obvious. They're not going to give you the, the verse-chorus bridge song. They're going to try to pervert the song structure a little bit, and they're going to try to throw elements that are kind of going to throw you off. You even heard it in that song, Satan Said Let's Dance. Here's a straightforward disco beat, and there's all these little noises popping yeah, up through yeah. it, you know? So they're not going to be obvious about it. So as a result, they haven't made, I think, the, the beginning to end great album that they might have in them. I think if you put yeah. the best moments of the first album together with the best moments <laughs> You'd of have this a great record, record, you have a great record. Well, there's this indie rock curse, Greg, where we don't want to be seen in any way, shape, or form as doing what John Mellencamp did, you know, selling out to the man, right? Yeah. So, And we, we applaud that. That's great. Do your own thing. But then there's, you know, it can be taken too far where I'm going to spit in your face. I'm going to try so hard to be weird and myself that that, that yeah. I'm not, I'm, you know. So so on the first album with this horrible, unlistenable, uh, calliope, circus-like song, this album they go even further where, where they have this horrible, unlistenable, distortion-drenched song, which you can't even make through. So we rate things on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale. I have to say, this is a burn it record for those good moments. The rest are skippable. Yeah, I would agree. A burn it record all the way. Some really, really great moments and some really, really unlistenable ones. ones. (laughs) I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Yes, indeed. Stranded together. Most weeks here on Sound Opinions, Greg or I take a turn popping a quarter into the Desert Island jukebox. Greg, it's your turn. Well, thank you, Jim. I'm excited to play this next track because uh, I just saw this band a few days ago. They rarely play. In fact, for, for the last five years, people have been wondering where they've gone. I'm talking about the chamber strings. They're led by a musician named Kevin Jr., who grew up in Ohio, ended up in Chicago, and made two brilliant orchestral pop records, Gospel Morning in 1997, followed up by Month of Sundays in 2001, combining, you know, soul, pop, rock influences from the 60s and 70s, synthesizing those influences in really artful ways, much like Alex Chilton did in Big Star, much like Ray Davies did in the late 60s Kinks. People may think, well, you're exaggerating. Kevin Jr.'s is not in their class. I really believe that Kevin Jr.'s music just hasn't been widely heard enough. Otherwise, people would be talking about him as one of the great songwriters of the last decade. The last five years have not been good ones for Kevin Jr. Had some issues with depression, was living on the streets in Los Angeles for a while as a homeless drug addict, 
cleaned himself up in recent months, got back together again with the band that made uh, Month of Sundays in 2001, and started playing shows again. Very exciting news. Apparently have created enough new music to uh, put out a new album sometime in 2007. But I can't wait for that album, Jim. I want to hear Chamber <laughs> Strings music right now. Right now, yeah. And I go back to Month of Sundays for a, uh, a classic track. I think one of the great tracks of the last few years. I don't understand why this was not a top 10 pop single, but you be the judge. Make it through the summer from the chamber strings on Sound Opinions. Make it through the summer from the chamber strings, my Desert Island jukebox pick. Next week, Jim. It's Valentine's Day. We have to celebrate Valentine's Day, but of course yeah. we did it in Sound Opinions fashion, very twisted fashion. We uh, did a live event at the Chicago Cultural Center. Robbie and Donna Folks helped us out. We looked at all aspects of Valentine's Day, not just the love side, but the lust side and also the <laughs> love stinks side yeah. of uh, Valentine's Day. As always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Greg, Mary Gaffney recorded our performance with Lupe Fiasco. We get legal assistance from Dino Armiros. Tori Malatia is our executive producer and a man we love. American Public Media brings us bad and nationwide. <laughs> and you know we love our production team. Matt Spiegel, Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. They're all going to be in the front row when Sting comes out with his codpiece. Spiegel was entirely too excited yeah. about that. Yeah. In the drawing room, a group of suspects gathered. The detective has solved the mystery. Ladies and gentlemen, the butler did it. <laughs> You'll never catch me. The butler darted to his getaway car. But what he didn't know is this is a Nissan sales event ad. Wait, what? And his car is no match for the detective's Nissan Rogue or its standard VC turbo engine. Save on one of your own. 
at the Nissan Thrill of the Drive sales event. Now get 0% APR financing for 36 months on select models. Availability is limited. For well-qualified buyers, 0% APR financing for 36 months available on new 2023 Altima Rogue and Pathfinder when financed through NMAC must take delivery from new dealer stock. 36 months financing at $27.78 per month per thousand financed. Actual down payment may vary subject to residency restrictions and NMAC credit approval. Not all buyers qualified. Dealer contribution may affect actual price set by dealer. Contact dealer for details. Offer ends 2 23